Good morning. My name is Sanya, and today I will be reading from Psalm 62. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. May God bless the reading of his word. Hey, good morning, Hillside. I'm so glad you're connecting with us today. Uh, and again, as it's been said many times through our service, happy Mother's Day. Uh, uh, my Starbucks barista asked me one morning this week, I, I didn't even know she knew I was a pastor. She says, how's your Mother's Day sermon going? And I'm like, well, it's not really a Mother's Day sermon, but I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know. Um, but we're stepping out of our Matthew series this morning as we promised that we would do from time to time as we focus on other things in order to look at a psalm. As uh, Dan led us in prayer earlier in the service, we prayed for moms and parents, and we just recognized the, the, that parenting has been super challenging in this last year or so. But you don't have to be a parent to feel challenged. I, I think these are kind of difficult days for everyone. Uh, a New York Times article has been kind of bouncing around in the last couple of weeks. It was written by a uh, well-known psychologist, uh, Adam Grant. He described the kind of experience he was bumping into in the spring months of 2021. This is what he says. He says, at first, I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Friends mentioned that they were having trouble concentrating. Colleagues reported that even with vaccines on the horizon, they weren't excited about 2021. A family member was staying up late to watch National Treasure again, even though she knows the movie by heart. And instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was lying there until 7, playing words with friends by myself. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat lost and aimless, joyless. It turns out there's a name for that, languishing. He goes on to say, languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. As scientists and physicians work to treat and care for the physical symptoms of long haul COVID, Many people are struggling with the emotional long haul of the pandemic. It hits some of us unprepared 
as the intense fear and grief of last year faded. Languishing. It's a potent word, and I suspect that some of you would say, yep, that kind of describes my life right now. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower, you might even feel guilty for feeling that because, as we've talked a lot about that, aren't we meant to be thriving even in difficult times? This does not feel like thriving. I heard one well-known Christian leader this week describe how this last year of the pandemic has, you know, exposed her faith, the weaknesses in her faith and, and weaknesses in her emotional health. A lot of us feel simply stretched right now. And so I think if ever we needed the Psalms, these honest prayers of the people of God, we need them now. <laughs> these are good days to be immersing ourselves in the Psalms. They, they actually give us language for actually being able to, to, to put words to what we're going through. We're looking at a psalm of David, Psalm 62. Uh, Timothy Keller describes this psalm as a psalm for the stressed. And scholars tell us that it was likely written when David was going through an incredibly difficult time. It could have been during a political coup. Uh, he'd had to flee. We're, we're hearing that that's probably the setting. And yet Psalm 62 is David's testimony of finding hope and stability in God in the midst of the mess. It's, it's going to be helpful for us, I think. Why don't we just pause and pray? Lord, Lord God, would you speak to us by your spirit today? Would you open our eyes to you, the reality of you in the midst of whatever we're going through? Uh, would you take us from where we are and, and lead us into that place of hope and life, we ask by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Question I want to start with is, who do you go to when you're in trouble? I mean, who do you, do you have a 2 a.m. friend, you know, that friend that you can call day or night because something's not going right? This psalm starts with David giving us his list of who he would call when he's in trouble, who he can count on, who he can trust. And David could have listed his mighty men. He could have listed his, his counselors and advisors. He could have listed his armed forces. But his answer, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. David's list is actually a really short one. My help comes from God alone. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, calls this psalm the God-only psalm. Six times, David uses this tiny word, only, or alone. It's a word that underscores the, the kind of clear focus of David's faith, God alone, God only. Now, I don't think for a minute that David didn't count on his circle of friends, on his community, who we just see tons of examples in his story of them coming to the rescue time and time again, and them supporting him. But at the heart of things, where, where it really mattered, God is David's first resort, not his last resort, not his if all else fails. And, and the question I guess I want to ask is, why was that? Like, how was David able to be, in the midst of real difficulty, have that kind of confidence in God? Well, the whole psalm kind of outlines the reasons for his trust. Let's look at a few of those reasons together. 
First of all, David had come to know God as his rock and his fortress. We see this in verse 2, and again in verse 6, and verse 7, five times in the psalm, he calls God his rock and his fortress. These are favorite images of, of David in the psalms. For good reason, they're really strong images. Uh, fortress is a military word, simply defined as a fortified defensive structure. It's basically a, a place that's designed to be safe from harm, a refuge from harm. And David speaks about God as his fortress, as though God was an impregnable wall around him, which surrounds him, a place where he's, he's safe, he's protected. His enemies can, can do their best, but their weapons can't penetrate. And he goes on to say, God is my rock, my mighty rock in verse 7, I will never be shaken or I will not be moved. A rock or a mountain, you know, think about it, it's a, an image of permanency. It's something that's immovable, strength, strong. You know, a small, small piece of mountain, as we've seen time and time again over the years in British Columbia, you know, slides off the mountain and onto a road and the road can be shut down for weeks. Even with all our diggers and explosives, Mountains are no small things for man. God is like a, a strong and massive mountain, immovable, unchanging, solid, trustworthy. It's an image of security. How when we put our life in God's hands, it's like being safe in a fortress or being anchored to the rock. Earthquake-proof, baby. By the way, God as a rock and a fortress doesn't mean that, that earthquakes and storms don't come in our life. I mean, the Psalms should remind us of this. This is even the context. I mean, Jesus, in the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he has this great parable that he describes of the person who puts their trust in God's word. And he says that those who build their house on the rock, when the storms do come, that house will stand I got a chance this week to hear an interview with uh, Rick and Kay Warren. Rick wrote the, the best-selling book years ago, The Purpose-Driven Life, and uh, they've pastored at, at Saddleback Church for many, many years now. And in their interview, they were talking about some of the serious hardships they've been through in their lives, and I've heard a number of them, but uh, a few years ago, one of those hardships was they actually lost a son to suicide. You, you know what they said that helped them through these difficult seasons that they went through, focusing on the greatness of God, focusing on God's goodness, on, on his strength, on his faithfulness, and on his great love for them. Rick went on to say something that I think is just going to stick with me for a while. He said, it's one thing to tell God how great our problem is. It's another thing to tell our problems how great our God is. Did you catch that? It's one thing to tell God how great our problem is. It's another thing to tell him how great our God is, to tell our problems that. And this is really a, a big lesson of David's. We, we'll find rest when we look to God in the midst of our trouble. Like that old hymn said, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And I, I tell you, I bet you David, if he knew that song, he'd be singing along with passion. Well, if God is a rock in our fortress, 
a reliable place to put our trust, David goes on to remind us where we shouldn't put our trust. In verses 3 and 4, he kind of addresses his enemies and maybe even a little bit broader to his circumstances here. He says, how long will you, how long my enemies, my circumstance assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? David's saying that people and circumstances are an unreliable place to put our trust. He, he uses this imagery of a leaning wall or tottering fence. You ever seen a leaning fence, a, a tottering fence in somebody's backyard? I mean, it seems to be a law of human nature that the next time you see that, that, that fence, it'll be kicked down, right? Someone will have kicked it over. Any of you ever felt like that? Like a tottering fence? You know, vulnerable like that? Like, like all it would take is one more little push to have you fall down. I know, I know you do. In, in my life, in, in my world, pastors and leaders, a, a Canadian study of Christian charities just came out recently showed that one-third of Canadian pastors uh, have wanted to quit in the last year, and I know quite a few who have. Last week, the local pastors group that I'm involved in, the Tri-City Ministerial, we were so privileged to have Dan Allender come and and join us to to share and to speak. Um, This was kind of a big deal. Dan Allender is, uh, in in the world of Christian uh, psychologists, he's he's one of the biggest and most well-known Uh, a recognized authority on issues of of abuse and trauma specifically. He's written many books. I I think if you have dealt with uh, abuse, uh, Healing the Wounded Heart is is one of the best. But we got a connection to Dan Allender, and we'd asked him to to bring just a few words of encouragement to our pastors, and we basically said, you can talk about anything. And he spent time talking about a research study that he and his group did a few years ago where they actually surveyed thousands, I think it was in the tens of thousands of, of leaders and pastors, a lot of them pastors, and then they did kind of a, a deep dive interviews with 300 pastors and leaders, and he said five words kind of bubbled up, were, were used, came to the surface again and again and again. First was crisis. You know, leaders reported dealing with three to five crises a week, and annually they were dealing with three to five, you know, major crises a year. And, and, and Dan went on to say that, that actually in COVID, that, that number is probably right out the window. It's probably double or triple that. Other words were complexity, you know, betrayal, the sort of the politicization of our work where everyone's got a different opinion. Loneliness, the loneliness of leadership and exhaustion And then he went on to talk, quite frankly, about the results of that in our emotional and physiological lives, how how it can lead to this this kind of fragmentation or this emotional numbness and and isolation that that kind of comes out of that. And, and, And we debriefed Dan's talk both with him and afterwards, and pastor after pastor was saying, I can relate to all five of those words in my work. And I don't think it's unique to leaders or to pastors. So many of you are so stress-saturated, you're pushed to the limits, you're experiencing exhaustion and loneliness and betrayal and complexity and crisis day after day, financially and emotionally, and you've got job implications, you've got parenting implications, 
Your emotional and, and mental health is maybe feeling like it's often pushed to your limits, like a tottering fence. Yeah, that's when we're weak. David actually goes on to talk about, well, what, what about when we're strong? He says we're not kind of invulnerable to, to difficulty then either, or an attack. He says, verse 4, he says, they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. That's when things are going well. Somebody wants to topple him. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. I wonder if you ever experienced a win and, and people are maybe blessing you with their words, but you sense they're not really meaning it in their hearts. There, there are times when we'll succeed in life in some way and there'll be someone in their envy or their jealousy that wants to kind of bring you down a notch, bring you down a level, put you in your place to topple you. Again, it almost seems to be kind of some law of human nature. If, if someone succeeds at something, if someone does something well, there's, there's always someone who will criticize or, or diminish or kind of tear down that accomplishment. It's like that old Don Henley song once said, you know, kick him when they're up, kick him when they're down. I, I think that was what David's kind of describing in this psalm. And this adds dimension to why David more wholeheartedly says, God alone is my rock and my fortress, my strength. God alone. Because a rock is, what is it? It's unchanging. It's not fickle. It's not fair weather. You, you can count on it. People, even, even the best of people will fail you, will hurt you, will from time to time betray you. They'll let you down. And so David points us to God you can count on him. He won't kick you when you're down. A bruised reed he will not break, says Isaiah. Now, another aspect of this is we often look to other people to, to actually give our lives meaning. I heard a story of uh, two cows this week. These two cows were uh, grazing in a pasture when they saw a milk truck pass by. by. And on the side of the truck were the words, pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, vitamin A added. And one cow kind of sighed and said to the other, makes you feel kind of inadequate, doesn't it? <laughs> In a significant way, we can find ourselves looking to other people for our sense of self, for our sense of adequacy, for our identity. It's interesting in verse 7, it's almost identical to verse 2 where David says, God alone is my rock and my salvation. But in, in verse 7, he adds a dimension to it. He says, my salvation and my honor depend on God. Honor is a word that can mean glory, which has to do with the essence of your being. The Hebrew for honor is related to what is weighty and substantial, and David is saying, my honor, my, my weight, and my, my substance, my sense of who I am comes from God. Compare that with verse 9, which tells us why we shouldn't look to other people for our honor. It says, surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they're nothing. Together, they are only a breath. You get this picture of, of a weigh scale, right? You know, and, and you've got these, the, the, the people on, on one side, highborn, lowborn, 
people of all stripes and colors, right? And they're, you've got their opinion and perspective over here, and what does he say they're like? They're like a breath. They don't tip the scale at all, really. There's no weight to it. On the other side of, of the scale is, is the honor of God, which is weighty and substantial. And God's opinion is what matters most in life, what he thinks of us, what, how he cares of us. Last week, Pastor Kevin was, was talking about sexuality, and, and uh, we live in a day where, where people are so easily wanting to be the major thing that defines their lives is, is how they view sex or, or, or how they view gender. That is not the, the major defining thing. It is not meant to be the major defining thing of them. It, that's kind of like on the breath side. It's what God thinks of you that, that matters most. I, w- I want to talk just a brief, take a brief aside and, and talk about sin for a moment. We often think of sin simply as doing bad things. But Scripture teaches us that building our life and meaning on anything, even a good thing, other than God, is sinful. It's basically idolatry. And whatever we idolize, whatever we build our our life on, will drive us or enslave us. Tim Keller writes about this. He, He talks about the kind of brokenness and damage that can be caused by centering our lives on people. This is what he says. He says, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or your partner, you'll be emotionally dependent, jealousy, jealous, and controlling. If you center your life and your identity on your family and your children, you'll try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life on an identity on relationships and approval, you'll constantly be overly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. Or you'll you'll fear confronting others and therefore, I like this description, you'll be a useless friend. The same thing goes for other things in life. Whatever we idolize will enslave us. Some of the slavery that I think has been exposed this last year is maybe what you might call the sin of certainty. You know, we, we put our hope in certainty, our security, and it's let us down, hasn't it? Some of us idolize wealth. Uh, David warns about wealth in verse 10. He says, though your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. This message is over and over again in Scripture. Don't put your confidence in your RRSPs or lack thereof, or in your condo, or your home, or your bank account, or your paycheck. Just like people, if you center your life on your identity, and, and identity on, on people, or, pardon me, on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or greed. And a lot of people around us live that way. Well, David says, my salvation and my honor is in God. Whatever circumstances I'm going through, I'm not going through it alone. The the money pressures, the stresses, the relationship issues, the health struggles, the pandemic. God is my honor, my strength, and my rock. He's my center. He anchors me in his great love. How do we do this? How do we increasingly have God become for us our rock and our fortress? I see two practical kind of tips in this psalm. 
Uh, one is found in verse 8 where David challenges us, trust him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. Pour out your hearts to God. The, the Psalms urge us to, in an unfiltered way, pray our disappointments and our fears and our troubles and our failures. Even we can pray our languishing, where you kind of feel stuck in the middle. To pour it all out before God, to give it to him. When I was uh, picturing this image of, of pouring out this week, I had a, a flashback, uh, very real actually, to our kids when they were going to school, elementary school especially. And uh, you parents, you'll, you'll know this, but the whole bringing home of the ceremonial backpack, right, that is torn and ripped because they have jammed so much junk into this thing, right? It, and, and they would bring home their backpack and it would be packed to the gills and they'd complain about losing something, having lost a, a, an important piece of paper. And so there would be the, the pouring out of the backpack. We'd urge them, just dump it all out. And I, it was quite an adventure watching this happen because in amongst the textbook and the notebooks and the pencils and all, all the, the accoutrements of school life, were like rotten oranges and, and, you know, crusts of sandwiches and broken chip bags and candy wrappers and all this kind of garbage. And we, we together with our kids, we'd sort it all out and we'd separate and throw away the garbage and we'd reorder their backpack and we'd find that lost thing that was usually crumpled in a corner. They'd walk away all clean, only for it to all happen again not very long down the road. Interestingly enough, I see that as an image of prayer. Coming before our Heavenly Father, opening up our lives, what we carry, the whole mixed bag of it, crammed with this and that, uh, with, with the good things and the ugliness, and kind of laying it out before Him laying before him the wins and the losses, the courage and the fear, the hurts, the disappointments, the stress. I, I've been begun in my prayer life praying those five words that Dan Allender gave us. I've been actually praying into my, my experience of crisis and complexity and betrayal and loneliness and exhaustion. I begin to, to lay those out before the Father by the way, friends, this is, just, this is Christianity 101, learning to pour out our lives to God. He wants to deal with the real stuff we're dealing about. Uh, as the psalm says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Or as the apostle Paul gets really practical, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So that's one, pouring out your hearts to God. Secondly, second clue to growing in our confidence with God sounds opposite to the first one. It's found in verse one and verse six, where it says, my soul finds rest in God alone. The Hebrew word for rest literally comes from the word stillness or Silence. It can be translated, truly my heart waits silently for God. 
Robert Alter's excellent translation puts it, only in God is my being quiet. So there's this pouring out, this praying and, and processing our stuff with God, but there's also this just being in God's presence in stillness and quiet, just resting in him. Just, you're not doing anything. This psalm is all about God is the only one who can save you. God is the only one that can rescue you. You're scrambling, you're, you're busyness, you're running around. It's not going bring, to bring salvation. It's, it's learning how to stop and to be and to rest in God. Such a good practice every day. I wonder when was the last time you gave yourself a dose of the silent treatment. I came across this cute story written by a mom. She said, it was a hectic day running errands with my son. And as if the stress weren't enough, four-year-old Christopher insisted on asking questions about everything. He told me how to drive better and sang every song he knew. Finally, fed up with the unceasing chatter, I made him an offer. Christopher, if you'll be quiet for just a few minutes, I'll give you a dollar. And it worked. He was quiet. But when we stopped for lunch, I began to kind of harp on him. Christopher, sit up straight. Christopher, don't spill your drink. Christopher, don't talk with your mouth so full. Finally, this four-year-old, little four-year-old Christopher said, Mom, if you'll be quiet for just a few minutes, I'll give you a dollar. We all need to be quiet. We all need to be still. And, and part of finding God as our rock and our salvation is learning to rest in him. To, to not just get busy doing things, but just to be. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, he said, we begin the day in silence because God should have the first word. And we end the day in silence because God should have the last word. Both the postures of, of pouring out our hearts and, and waiting silently for God are rhythms of the spiritual life that can enable us to, to rest in God and, and actually receive his replenishing grace. Both are activities of a trusting heart. They bring stability and, and peace to any circumstance, anchoring us to a God who is our rock and our fortress. Let me read David's last line before Jerry leads us in prayer. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O oh God, are strong, and that you, O oh Lord, are loving.